You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean. How's it going? David, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Exciting stuff. News will announce next week about the, the walled garden. But that we, we are. if you see the icon is different, that we have a, a new beautiful gold logo. That's part of our uh, integrating with the walled garden, integrating the Between Two Ravens podcast more with them. But we'll have a whole explanation maybe next time more of what the walled garden is for people uh, who've been following us. That you know, I keep talking about Stoic philosophy and things that excite me and just what does it mean? But basically, just we'll keep doing our thing. And uh, there's a lot of cool things maybe that fans of this might actually get out of the walled garden. I would say as well, but it's not just Greek philosophy. But yeah, yeah, and I know you've been spearheading most of that, so I appreciate that. And I'm also excited about what's to come, even though I have no idea because you have been spearheading it. But uh, you know, I think it's going to be cool to like join up with them to see uh, you know what what that's going to mean for both between two ravens, but also the walled garden moving forward. Some of the, yeah, at least the things I know I can say for sure is uh, that me being interviewed other places and talking about, I'm still doing the meetups where I talk about philosophy and a little bit of mythology sometimes in the meetups. And uh, we may get some really cool guests on here as well, I'm hoping soon. Yeah, yeah, because I think, uh, you know, once we run out of stuff to talk about, which I've mentioned multiple times, it's going to be good to have people that can come maybe speak to how unknowingly Norse mythology speaks or influences what they do on a day-to-day basis, whether it's like the idea of fate or stoicism or things like that. And at this point, I'm just kind of pulling stuff out of my ass. But either way, I think it's going to be very cool to kind of join up with them to see, you know, what value we can provide to our listeners. That, that the idea of finding wisdom in poetry, right? It's something we didn't know we were looking for when we started this podcast. And then that's something yeah. really the walled garden looks at too. So, you know, I'll have to write up a little more to explain that connection, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, David, I just got a, a voicemail. It's from Elena calling on behalf of the Student Loan Debt Relief Department. Relief Department, do you think that's real? Of course, yeah. Put her, <laughs> yeah. Put, her line, put her on the air. Yeah. yeah, right. No, I'll give her a call later, of course. Um, I'm not, actually. But yeah, so my week was uh, fine uh, this past weekend. We took it easy because uh, we are going to be leaving um, in two weeks for a vacation. So I think on Friday, we uh, we took the dogs for a long walk to a brewery. Uh, Port City Brewing here in Alexandria, which we have uh, featured on our show when I used to do the drink of the week, which I always seem to forget in these episodes. Um, and then Sunday, we spent some time by the pool. But because I wanted to mention this because in two weeks, since I'll be out, or two and a half weeks since I'll be out, we're actually going to have a series of three episodes that I'm going to discuss here in a second. But within those two weeks, um, we're going to have a couple shorts. One's going to be created by me, and the other one's going to be created by David. And then we're going to get right back into our series on Loki, the remaining few episodes that hopefully we can finish up by either uh, mid to late November or early December. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. That sounds good. I, I, liked, I actually really like doing the short episodes. I hope our uh, fans enjoy them as well. And so, Sean, yeah. what, are, what are we talking about today? What is this new little series within the Loki series? Yeah, yeah definitely. So... In the previous few episodes, we told some of the tales of Loki, um, the god who often finds himself either deliberately or not as a thorn in the sides of the rest of the Aesir. To make amends, and also to avoid getting beat up or killed by the gods, either all of them or Thor, he's had to act divisively and often putting himself in considerable danger in doing so to regain the favor of those gods. These actions by the gods, as we will see, will make Loki's actions more impulsive and malicious, the most recent of which was the Aesir being forewarned that three of his children, Fenrir, Hel, and Jormungandr, would result in their deaths. So they banished Hel and Jormungandr, and they chained up Fenrir, which we discussed last week. So these events serve as the primary point in my mind 
where the wheels of Ragnarok starts turning. I had a thought. It's one of those things with Loki. We've always talked about his like a little bit of a feminine side he has, right? So not just that Loki's a proud papa of these monsters, but also maybe he's a little bit of a mama bear and, and you're uh, poking the bear, right? <laughs> That's a good way to look at it, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. He always... He- yeah, I, w- I would say like maybe he's like a bird because he he often has to like fly places or like take Freya's uh, falcon shape. So yeah. maybe he's like you know protecting his hatchlings, but mm-hmm. I think it could, it could probably work either way. Um, so anyway, thanks, David. Before we continue Loki's tale, we want to spend three or so episodes discussing another god whose fate has a direct influence on the lead up to Ragnarok as well. So don't worry, Loki does play a huge part in this story, which we're going to discuss in the coming weeks. However, the beautiful Balder, the son of Odin and Frigg, serves as the shining light of the Aesir, um, which we have briefly discussed in um, the episode with Skadi. However, as we have seen in many of the myths we have discussed, fate often works in mysterious ways, and the fate of Balder, in this case, foreshadows a doom that forces the Aesir to take action leading up to today's story. David, how was that? Does that make sense? That sounds good. That'll work. <laughs> so yeah, so the the the, uh, the source today it's uh, from the poetic Edda, and it's called Baldur's Drummer or Baldur's Dream. It's an interesting one that I we haven't talked about the historical context of the myths for a while, but so the poetic Edda is often from it's called the the Codex Regius. It's one of the manuscripts. I think it's in um, like the Royal Museum in Sweden, something like that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, if not, it's in Iceland or something. Yeah. And that this one is not in the official version. The, the story is not in the Codex Regius, but it's in other manuscripts, or in a, at least one other manuscript of the Poetic Edda. So they've had, you know, more than a, I think it's more than a few copies have survived, maybe four or five copies, but they're all in various states of quality or falling apart. But also some have these deleted scenes, as I like to call them, the bonus thing that's not in the uh, most famous version. So I just think that's a neat detail. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of like looking at this this poem as a deleted scene. I almost think it wor- also works as a prequel to the story that we're trying to tell. It sort of works as it the beginning, but also a prequel to the two chapters. I think it's one chapter in Gilfaganin, which discusses Boulder in further detail. So we yeah. could just go straight to the Prosetta in Gilfaganin and read those two chapters. But since we haven't discussed Boulder's drama yet, I think this is the perfect kind of place to put it in there. Because it does kind of fit very smoothly as a prequel, or as you mentioned, a deleted scene. And that's, you know, I think we mentioned some poem last time that was kind of like, it's really a really poor quality deleted scene, right? It's one of these poems where it's like, it seems like they just piece, paste some things together. <laughs> it doesn't fit. But this one's a really, it's really done well. So either whoever wrote it was knowledgeable, or there's something that seems authentic about it. My take on it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we can get started. It's a very short poem. It's uh, 15 stanzas. So we will jump right in. So Baldur's Drama, similar to the poem that we have uh, mentioned many times in this podcast, Volaspa, Odin awakes a Cirrus from the dead. This takes place in Hell, which we also know as Niflheim. He awakes the witch after traveling to Niflheim to find out why his son Baldur is having dreams that are foretelling his death. So Baldur is having dreams that are foretelling his own death. And that he's a a god. He's not supposed to die. So it's, it's especially disturbing. Yeah. Exactly. So all of the gods and goddesses met in Asgard to discuss the concerning nightmares that Baldur was having, again, foretelling his own death. So Odin makes the executive decision. He is the Allfather, after all. He decided to find out more. He took Sleipnir, his horse, also Odin's uh, 
or excuse me, also Loki's uh, son, when he arrived to Niflheim, he saw a, in quotes, dog of hell. The dog had a bloody chest and barked vigorously. Odin passes the dog and came to the, quote, high house of hell. And again, when I'm quoting things, it's from Jackson Crawford's translation. I know you have, um, you reviewed Catherine Larrington's, Larrington's, Carolyn Larrington's, yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's an interesting thing. I actually heard, got to hear her being interviewed on another podcast. And I'm like, oh, man, if I could talk to her one day, that would be great. But uh, Was it on it, um, the Gone Medieval podcast? Or? I think so. I think it might have been, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a great episode. Go ahead. Yeah. In any case, though, they seem like they're really different translations, right? And that's the other thing. The conversation with Chuck was so helpful because I really see how, you know, her version is very much... My, my take on it, right, giving you the closest you can get to kind of how the Old Norse version would have sounded when you don't speak Old Norse, where Jackson Crawford's is really just telling a story in a way you can understand, right? So when he says, yeah, he arrived and he saw a dog of hell, very different than saying there he met a whelp coming up from hell, right? Like he uses the word whelp, and that must look like the Old Norse word, I guess. It says, down there he rode from mist hell, and there he met a whelp coming up from hell. Right. So it's turned out at all the way Jackson Crawford translates that. Yeah, definitely. Carolyn Larrington has these great kind of little, you know, the, the footnotes and the endnotes that she says, you know, who is this whelp? She thinks it is likely a dog named Garm, who is the protector of Hell's Gate. And this shows up in the Seeress's prophecy in another poem. Uh, I was wondering, actually, if you knew where that was. From uh, that, so the Seeress's prophecy would be Volaspa. Yeah. Um, but I want to say this is from Grimness Mall, which is what I'm looking at now. And we can cut this part out. It says Grimness Mall says like when it says like Skidbladner is the best of boats. Oh yeah. No, wait. In one of the refrains of Volaspa using Garmar's howling to herald the coming of Ragnarok. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably edit some out, but I think it goes that, you know, it's a well-constructed poem when it, you know, it ties itself into Volspa. So it's like not missing any of those details. Right. So you can tell they really, they knew their stuff when they were writing this. Um, yeah, and and Volspa does mention that Garm is going to howl, and yeah, Garm Garm howls loud before the fetters will burst. And I think at that point he's referring to the fetters that uh, are bounding Fenrir the dog. So when I first read Baldur's Dream, I my first thought was, oh, I wonder if the Hound of Hell is Fenrir, and he's just like staying there with his sister Hell. But in this case, Garm the dog actually shows up in many sources. So I would imagine the Hound of Hell is Garm, but it is kind of curious as to why he's not mentioned specifically in Boulder's drama, if that makes sense. Right. You know, it makes these things confusing, but that goes back. That's what the kennings are. You know, just the way they write them is to be intentionally confusing. So you have to really know your stuff to uh, appreciate Norse mythology. Yeah. Yeah, and also one thing that we could, um, that we could kind of look at this as is maybe it is Fenrir, but Garm is also Fenrir. It's just, it could be like another name because I think, and this is me just kind of like looking online right now. Like I think Gil Fogany mentions that if Garm is loose, that he's going to be Tear Slayer or something, if that makes sense. We can, sorry, we can cut that part out too. No, but like, I, I, want, I do wonder if there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't think of any reason to prove that it's not uh, talking about Fenrir, right? So. So moving on, when Odin got to the high house of hell, he rode east of the door and came to the grave of a witch using a spell. Odin woke her. The witch seemed annoyed that she was woken up from her eternal sleep, which is also similar to Volaspa. She states that she died in the snow a long time ago. 
Odin at first does not state who he is. Often when he goes on his adventures, as we've seen, he goes under an alias or a disguise or something like that. He states that he is Road Tamer, son of Corpse Tamer. He requests the news from hell and asks why the hall seems to be prepared for a banquet. And I see that you have a note here from uh, Larrington's translation. As Odin says, Way Tame is my name, the son of Slaughter Tame. Right, so the the road tamer, the tamer of the way, the corpse tamer, the tamer of the slaughtered. And so there's probably yeah. what the Old Norse words look like, I'm guessing, because way tame is a weird way to say something. Maybe that gives you the feel of Old Norse, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, you have to take a road to go on your way, but also you have to slaughter somebody to make them a corpse or yeah. something like that. So you can I, see how the words are similar. But and I think it probably is Odin the Wanderer. That this is like Odin in his older age, right? There's a certain point where he becomes the Wanderer. Um, so I would think that's who yeah. the, the road tamer is, one who wanders, right? Yeah, no, that's a good thought. Odin also notes here that the high volume of benches and the floor being covered in gold are what lead him to imply that a banquet is being like set up for someone. So the witch states that the mead is being brewed for the arrival of Boulder, confirming his imminent death that Boulder was dreaming about. The witch then tries to go back to sleep, meaning her death. She says, and I think this is uh, from Larrington's translation, David. She says, reluctantly, I tell you, now I'll stay silent. Yeah. The thing that really stands out to me goes back to this idea of fate, right? That Odin really doesn't want to see fate, but that the, the table is already set for Baldur, right? Like it's already happening. There's, there's, there's nothing to do about this. And yet Odin still is always fighting fate, right? I think that's seems pretty clear to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So Odin denies her request to go back to death and he further probes. He asks, who is going to kill Boulder? So who's going to be Boulder's killer? And the way it's translated for uh, Larrington, uh, don't be silent, Cirrus. I want to question you. Until all is known, I want to know more. Odin is never satisfied, right? It's just, yeah. Not just having he always wants to know everything, yeah. <laughs> wisdom. He must know all. Yeah. He's kind of pushing, like, he wants the answer that he wants to hear, right? It's not just that he wants to know everything. He's like, no, tell me my son's not going to die, right? Exactly. So then the witch tells him that Hoth, or Hod, who is also Odin's son, will kill him with a spear. She tries to go back to death again. However, Odin again refuses her going back to death, obviously. He then asks her who is going to avenge Boulder and place Hoth on the funeral pyre. Is Hod Odin's brother or his son? Because it also is Freya's husband, is that right? Either Odd or Hod? So Hod is definitely... Odin's son. Okay. I thought there was a really similar name, like Hoder, that was one of the three Honor. aspects. What was it? Honer. Honer. Oh, am I, this I'm is the second time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's probably why I think they're the same god. But so it's one of these things I wanted to mention that is really weird about when they're translating Old Norse into English. Because so sometimes, like that, there's, it's that letter D that's actually a TH sound, right? So is it Hodth, right? It's, it's sort of you can write it both ways, H-O-T-H or H-O-D. And it's said the same way. It's just how are we turning it into English, right? And that even I think the H can be taken off sometimes, that it would be odd or off rather than yeah. odd, right? You, you don't necessarily have that H that way. And you see it in other languages where they have accent marks and things to indicate, you know, is this H supposed to be said strongly or barely said, or is this last letter silent or not? It's very confusing when, yeah. But I, I think you're probably right that, uh, I'm never going to get his name right. Honor. Yeah. No. Honor is <laughs> you, Odin's brother. Yeah. Is that right? No, Honor is Odin's friend. 
Huh. As we as we know, but like he's a very confusing person or a very confusing, yeah. obscure god that we don't really know his background. But he often see, finds himself with Odin, and we've seen that both in the prose Edda but also the poetic Edda. And there's some maybe connection there with Odin and Loki, which is something that like we're going to explore in maybe a short episode at some point. But it's 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 a pretty fascinating story for me. But it, that's the second time that you thought that Honor's name was Hodor. And yeah. I think you watch too much Game of Thrones. Or I'm, going something like that, but. I'm going to continue thinking that, but but it, it really fascinates me because I think it at least the way I remember this story right is that there's Odin, O D I N, and he's married to Frigg, and then there's someone named Odd, O D, that's married to Freya, and the, the names sound so similar in these things, right? They both start with O for the husband, they both start with mm-hmm. F for the wife. Just these weird Norse mythology things. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, but yeah, so Odd is actually is the son of. Frigg as well. So it's Odin and Frigg's son. So it actually says here, and this is me being a jackass and Wikipedia it on the spot, but it says that they are, um, he is twin brothers with Boulder, which makes this even more interesting. Oh, and they are twins. I, I definitely always forget that. Definitely. So Hod is going to kill Boulder. When Odin asks her who's going to avenge Boulder, the witch states that in the halls to the west, Rind is going to give birth to Odin's son, Valley. He will avenge Balder while only being one night old, so one day old. In that time, he won't comb his hair or wash his hands. She tries to go back to death a third time. So, David, we have another interesting character being involved here, Rind, um, who is another uh, consort of Odin who's going to give birth to Valley. Um, And I see you have a note here from Saxar Grammaticus. It's from the, so the, the History of the Danes is the book by, I think, the Roman, right? Saxo Grammaticus. And in his book three, he talks about this idea of Odin using magic to force himself on Rind to beget Baldur's Avenger. Um, So another, as you mentioned before, Sean, kind of some of these disturbing things that show up in a lot of mythologies of the gods, uh, non-consent, essentially. But yeah, that Odin and his his seduction magic that they've talked about before, right? Yeah, and and really quick, um, I I know you mentioned uh, Sax Grammaticus being a Roman. He was actually a Danish person. Um, This took place a few hundred years after the fall of the Roman Empire. I think you're thinking of Tacitus, who was the Roman author who wrote about, um, I guess, the northern people like in the first or second century. But the history of the Danes was written by Sax Grammaticus in the 12th century. What makes this interesting, because, you know, like this is like 600 years after the fall of the Roman Empire, so I'm not too sure like how much of a connection there is. However, in that story, the na- the character Balder is present, but his name is Balderus, which maybe sounds Roman. Um, so the names like are, are, are like kind of shifted a little bit. But I know we're just kind of going off on a tangent right now. I, I, I do know that in that story, Odin does force himself on Rind, though. Yeah. The other thing about Valley that reminds me of that he's supposed to be one one day old and he's getting revenge. Reminds me of that story with Thor, and he has to get saved by like his two month old son who can pick up a giant. I yeah, Magni. That, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that that is true. I, I didn't even make that connection in in preparation for this episode, but no, yeah, I'm, that is very interesting. That uh, his one year old son or one day old son right. takes vengeance on Balder or takes vengeance on behalf of Balder by killing Hod, and he doesn't like comb his hair or cut his hair um, until he satisfies that. That reminds me of a story about the historical, the potentially historical figure, Harold Fairhair, who was the first apparent king of Norway, who said he wasn't going to cut his hair unless he became the, until he became the king of Norway. So he was Harold Tanglehair, and then he conquered Norway it's and probably, became Harold Fairhair. 
do you think is that an Easter egg that's in there on purpose to like acknowledge him, or maybe it's just uh, something they built the mythology I, I, of the the man around? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it could either be a um, just a coincidence. Think about like sports teams having a playoff beard. Like I'm not going to shave my beard for the playoffs because it's going to be bad luck or something like that. Oh, well, it's, a, it's it's the biblical um, that that Samson has his strength as long as he doesn't cut his hair, right? And it's whether yeah. is this actually Bible inspired or is this just things that show up in mythology? Like I'm not sure anybody said that. Like I'm going to let my hair grow forever unless like I accomplish this task. But I think it, there's something there. Like there's a reason why it's in multiple stories. I guess if that makes sense. One, one thing I missed in there was a uh, another kind of kenning. The, the way it was translated that that Hod will dispatch the high glory tree. So that's how they say he's going to kill Balder. He'll dispatch the high glory tree. And they're like, why is that the kenning for Balder? Maybe it goes back to the idea. Of, I think it's said somewhere else, even in Havamal, they use that like a tree is like a man or like a warrior. That's the, the original two. Ask and Embla were two trees or driftwood that were given life. So that's just a, a kenning they use. Nice. Kennings are always hard to unpack, but I, unpack, but I think you're, you do a better job than I do. I, I love them for some of the meaning because the idea of Balder being a little bit like Christ. I mean, I'll come back to this later or even next week. Christ being on the cross, the way Odin's on the tree. And there's something there they're trying to emphasize, but uh, that's reading between the lines a lot. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So anyway, the witch wants to go to sleep again after she told him about Rin's giving birth to Valley. Oh, by the way, isn't Valley like also a son of Loki that we discussed? These are the yeah, all the all the parallels. Then that's the part whether there's a name Nari, right? And it looks kind of like Val- Valley if you change the N to a V, and Nari yeah. and Narfi, or is it Valley? And are they one person or are they three different children? Yeah, I, uh, we'll may come back to that one. That's just confusing. But, I don't I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, yeah. So in this case, like Odin being this, also a father of Valley, there's like another like weird connection there between Oki and Loki. Excuse me, Loki and Odin that we're going to have to explore at some point. Is is Odin like Jekyll and Hyde? And sometimes he turns into Loki, and then he's like sleeping with people as Loki, and then he turns back and he's like, "What have you been doing, Loki?" And I don't, I don't know how to possibly work, but I like that. Image. Yeah, and you also say in other episodes that Loki is a, is a Thor's shadow, so it's all it's all connected. What's funny is uh, in Gilfaganine on the Prosetta in chapter thirty six. It's called Valkyries and the Goddesses. And there's also a chapter 35 that details with other goddesses. It has a very quick blurb about Rind. It says that Rind is the mother of Valley and is one of the goddesses. So you'll see Gilfaganin gave us a lot of information on Rind right there. But so anyway, here's here's where the poem like wraps up and it's kind of interesting. And I think um, you have some insight from Larrington here as well. But Odin asks one last question. He said, and this is Jackson Crawford's translation before we get into Larrington's. He says, who are the women who weep in longing, who throw their necklaces up into the sky? And it's the place in the poem, I'll, I'll pull out the poem in a minute and read a few stanzas because it's really weird where it's like, wait, I thought it was just Odin and a witch talking. And now there's a bunch of women. And where did they come from? And they're throwing necklaces. And what does this mean? So I, I think maybe it's, and this is Larrington's interpretation, that maybe it's kind of Odin just, he's seen a vision. And he's trying to get the seeress, the witch, to help him understand his vision. So she trans. This goes back. I don't think any nobody knows how to translate Old Norse half the time. So where you were just saying, who are the women who weep in longing, who throw up their necklaces into the sky? The other way to translate it is, who are these girls who weep for their pleasure, and who throw up to the sky the corners of their neckerchiefs? Very different. If that's um, yeah, I mean, a women, bit. women or girls. Okay, sure, but. Is it a neckerchief or a necklace? 
right? Larrington says it's very mysterious. Really, no one can really at all say what this means, but that maybe Frigg has women who are weeping for Baldr, right? That's when somebody dies that a lot of people will mourn and weep. Actually, it's, I think, a thing, at least I think I know it from Roman and Greek history, you would like pay and hire people to do weeping. So you didn't have to. You just get a, a team of women to weep, and that was a thing to do. Yeah, so it's gonna ha- that's gonna happen in uh, the next couple of weeks, where um, it's gonna result in like a lot of creatures, like people and gods, needing to cry, you know, yeah. at somebody's death. So I think that's very interesting. Like if this is Odin kind of going into a trance, like saying, "Who are these women that are are crying? Like who? Are, like what's going on?" It it wouldn't be unlike a lot of other poems or like other stories about Odin, where I've noticed that it seems like he's going into some type of trance. Um, when he was given the drink and he like starts spouting cosmic lore and yeah. you could argue that when he hung himself for nine days and nine nights, there was like some euphoric, like there was like a euphoric sensation that allowed him to like understand the runes at that point. Yeah. And so like, I am wondering if like him just being in this distraught state where he finds out that his son is going to die soon. He's obviously being aggressive with this, witch. He could also just be like, my mind doesn't know how to process this, so it's going to like see another glimpse into the future. He's right. He's, um, he's seeing the future, and he, he doesn't know these women, and so he's trying to make sense. Yeah, maybe they've been hired right to weep. And then there's also this other one that's a very poetic interpretation. I have no idea how Larrington finds this one. These are kind of the questions I would want to ask her. Right? That maybe this idea of the uh, they throw up to the sky the corners of their neckerchiefs might actually be a kenning for the white peaks of stormy waves that the waves are coming up and there's a white peak, like a neckerchief. I don't know why you would make that poetic connection, but you could. And that maybe that's as he's imagining and seeing Baldur's funeral boat arriving in the future. Mm-hmm. And there's these choppy waves. And maybe it's actually a very good kenning that combines both of those ideas at once, right? So that would be uh, some talented poetry, that even though you don't know what to make of it from our, yeah. our perspective. Yeah, I know yeah, for sure. And this is where it gets very interesting because, because of o- Odin saying this, like, the witch all of a sudden knows who it is. She knows that it's Odin. And she refers to him as Odin, the aged god, which, again, the aged god coming from Crawford's translation. And then they get into like a fleeting Odin's pissed off. Odin says that she is the mother of three monsters. And I see you have a note here, David, about this possibly being Anger Boda. Yeah, that's what the, um, I think Larrington said that maybe it's the Norns, because often it is. But that's my, my take is maybe this, I mean, where we're going with this. We're just, we just talked about Loki and his three monstrous children. Who is Angerboda? Could this be Angerboda? Why not? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, it, it kind of, it's, it would be very interesting if like an insult is to say, Oh, you're the mother of the three Norns of fate that do a lot of horrible things to people that don't deserve it and do a lot of great things to people that don't deserve it. So I'm wondering like, if it is, if he is just like kind of insulting her by saying, Oh, you're the mother of the three Norns, yeah. like, which means you're awful or, Maybe she is the mother of. Maybe she is Angraboda, as you said. Maybe she's Loki's con, like Loki's love interest that gave birth to yep. these three beings of Ragnarok. And if you are, if they are in Niflheim, you don't really hear about Angraboda in the other stories. Hell's probably there. The Hound of Hell, Garm, maybe Fenrir, and like I wonder if like they're all there, except for uh, you know Jormungandr. But then again, like if it's Garm then how is Fenrir there if Fenrir is like chained up, but like maybe like one happened after the other before the other. So this is just me like going crazy with theories now, but it could like, it would be interesting if it was Angerboda too. And that's probably why to some extent they gave a different name of Garm because they're like, well, we know it can't be Fenrir because he's chained up somewhere else, but we know the story is supposed to have a wolf here. 
So let's just try to make it work, right? And that there's the one translation where they really talk about, yeah, that hell is the, the worst of them all, the witch who gets sent to uh, to hell or Niflheim. And that, yeah, does the witch have a mother who's a witch, right? And we almost have these four different witch figures we've really clarified that seem to be different, right? So there's hell who's the witch that's the queen of all the underworld. There's this witch that seems like a different one Odin's talking to right now. There's one that gets burned three times. That's probably not Freya, but maybe. And there's also Freya is sometimes the witch. And uh, yeah, maybe you're not supposed to say their names. That might be one reason. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, witch that was burned three times was Freya. But then I think uh, one conversation that we had was the the Cirrus in Voluspa. Like that could also be, you know, a Freya type being as well. Yeah, that's so. at least, yeah, maybe actually there's four or five different witches we're dealing with now. And uh, <laughs> I don't have to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the witch tells Odin to leave here and trolls him by noting that he will be there again in Niflheim when Loki breaks free from his chains and Ragnarok destroys everything. So we're going to discuss in detail why and how Loki was chained up in another episode. But let's say at this point in time for Baldur's drama, let's say Garm is potentially Fenrir, but Garm is there, so not chained up. This event that she's referring to happens in the future. So as far as like the timeline, nothing makes sense here, but nothing in any of Norse, the Norse timeline makes sense. But it's also, I'm also wondering if the witch knows about the future as well in Loki potentially being chained up and Ragnarok approaching. So it could just be her foretelling the future, just like Odin also does when he talks to dead series or dead series. So. Right. so it does really make sense that yeah, we're uh, uh, spoiling this ahead of time because Odin's getting these, uh, these visions, these spoilers, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to read a couple of things from the poem, but, um, yeah, sure. Cause I really like this back and forth of Odin, this, as you've described it, like that he won't let the seeress sleep. Right. And that she seems annoyed and he won't let her sleep. Right. So this is how it plays out in this translation. I really like. So it says here, the mead stands brewed for Balder, clear liquid, a shield hangs above and the Aesir are in dread anticipation. Reluctantly. I told you now I'll be silent. Don't be silent, Cirrus. I want to question you. Until all is known, I want to know more. Who will be Baldur's killer? Who will rob Odin's son of life? Hod will dispatch the high glory tree to this place. He will be Baldur's killer and rob Odin's son of his life. Reluctantly, I told you. Now I'll be silent. Don't be silent, Cirrus. I want to question you. Until all is known, I want to know more. Who will achieve vengeance on Hod for this wickedness? Who will bring Baldur's killer to the funeral pyre? Rind will give birth to Valley in the Western Halls. Odin's son will fight when one night old. He won't wash his hands nor comb his hair until he's brought to the pyre Baldur's enemy. Reluctantly, I told you. Now I'll be silent. Don't be silent, Cirrus. I want to know more. Until all is known, I want to know more. Just as I'm reading it now, it reminds me how Chuck said, we don't really get Odin's take in the Volspa, right? Where Volspa, she always goes, he's like, um, you know, do you know enough yet, Allfather? Right? But you don't get Odin saying, like, no, I don't know enough yet. You need to tell me more. But this version does. So I think Chuck will like that. But Yeah, definitely. Um What are your thoughts, John? What what do you what do you take from this? It's a short poem, but it's really great, right? It's a really nice condensed kind of I think as well done as Volspa almost. But uh yeah. Well, I think the fact that it's only like fifteen stanzas and still like has, you know, a lot of substance is very cool. First of all, you get to see a little bit more of Odin, and we've discussed Odin's character in many episodes, but you get to see here that he is going to stop at nothing to get knowledge that he probably doesn't want to hear. He wants to know what's going to happen to his son, but he 
I think deep down he knows the answer. He knows that he's having these dreams that are foretelling his own death. He probably knows about Ragnarok and his death anyway, um, and all the rest of the gods. But I think he still just has this like natural. It's like in his nature to want to know everything. Yeah. And in doing so, he's going to be very aggressive with this witch that he awoke from the dead. And she tells him, and she tells him, then she says, I want to go back to sleep, but he still wants to know more. So you get to see a lot about like what drives Odin. It's not only his like lust for knowledge, but it's also, it's this lust for knowing exactly like what's going to happen to him at Ragnarok, if that makes sense. And I could be... He thinks it'll give him some kind of power. He thinks it'll give him a way to save himself or save Baldur. But and this and then that completely goes back to the idea, right? That fate is predetermined. The one coming to my mind right now is sort of this idea, like from a Christian perspective, why do human beings have free will, right? Why does God give human beings free will? Maybe one thing is to say that maybe the gods don't have free will, right? They're immortal and all these wonderful things the gods get to be, but they don't get to have free will. So it's like nice that humans get it. But that's where you say Odin's a very human god, right? He's really fighting that idea. He's against it, but. uh and like I know, I know that may not like directly apply to Norse mythology because I think the Norns like also affect humans in, in those stories. But that's a very interesting thought because if you look at the gods as the forces of nature, yeah. like you know, if you if you think about like the wind yeah. or like a lightning bolt, like you know that wind or a lightning bolt doesn't have free will; it's yeah. it's there. It does, it's not like a sentient thing. So if you kind of like look at the gods as manifestations of forces of nature or like manifestations of like the human mind, that kind of like makes a lot of sense yeah. that maybe the gods don't have free will. And um, I think historically where there's this transition, right? Cause I would agree yeah, that the, the old, old Germanic pagan, the old Norse perspective, right? Is that fate is predetermined. Yet there's something about that, you know, you have a little bit of this freedom to try to make sure you die in battle and go to Valhalla, right? So even though it's kind of maybe fated, and the Valkyries have decided it for you. Um, it feels like there's something that you can you can decide how much you're going to try to die in battle, right? I always think when I hear about these things. But as the Christian perspective is starting to integrate these stories, right, as they've learned to write from Romans and Christians, yeah, how much does some of that free will idea start to come in? That's my thought. Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting thought. Should I talk about the Greeks and uh, Dionysus? Just to introduce a couple Greek gods of why I think it's useful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's, you know, because we're talking a little bit about Balder, we really don't get a lot of, like, depth with Balder, right? He's kind of talked about, but we don't really get to see him a ton in these stories. We'll, we'll find, you know, basically all the stories that include him, right? But I think both Balder and Freyr are really important archetypes in the collective unconscious and the human mind. Maybe ones that weren't, like, didn't get to be lived out a lot in the Old Norse timeline. So the, but the Greeks have some gods that I think are very informative to what can we think about Balder and Freyr as we're trying to make sense of them. And I think I said before that they're a little more on the like feminine spectrum. They're not as much of this like turning into a woman as Loki, but that they're not just the not just a hero, not just an angry warrior like Thor. The Freyr is very much the lover. That he's in you know um, Vanaheim with the elves and it's peaceful there, right? And Balder is beautiful and good, and maybe he's kind of a warrior, but also He's indecisive. He's not quite a king leader, right? So he's not as stereotypically masculine. So this is just the reasons of why I'm going to start introducing Dionysus, who's a Greek god. That I think it goes back because we, we bring this idea of like Christ and how maybe some of these gods are influenced by Christianity, but that this is a pagan pantheist religion. I think it's much more parallels actually to Dionysus, and maybe actually Christ is the way he is because of who Dionysus was is a an interesting perspective. Maybe I'll come back to. 
the two gods that come into Dionysus' story I want to mention today because they're so relevant to this. So one is Zeus, and Zeus is the king of the gods, so he seems a lot like Odin. Uh, how much, Sean, how much do you know about kind of Zeus and just him being the king of the gods and things like that? Um, so I know he, well, I know he's like the king of the gods, as you mentioned. I know he's the god of like lightning, so very similar to Thor in that capacity. The only other thing I know about Greek mythology is that the, I guess the origin story involves the gods and titans, um, yeah. not unlike the gods in the Yoden or the Aesir and the Yodenar from Norse mythology. And I believe that Zeus was one of the beings that killed the titans but i could be wrong but that's pretty much all i know about it yeah that's why he gets to be king is because he saved the other gods when they were all children he was the one to avenge and kind of destroy the previous generation so this new generation of gods became the gods yeah also then the other big thing that's kind of like odin zeus is really and the romans i think really played this up uh Zeus is always sleeping around and getting everybody pregnant, and his wife is very unhappy about that, and she's very much like Frigg. Um, so that's another parallel. Odin's got all these kids, too. Right? A thing is, I read um, a lot of Jungian psychology that talks about mythology. They describe very much that, yes, maybe Odin's kind of the king, but Odin's very much the magician. He's very much like Mercury, or Hermes is then, uh, for the Romans, he's called Mercury, but he's, his name is Hermes. And I always knew of him as the one that like travels. He's the messenger god. He just sends messages back and forth. But he's also the guy that goes to the underworld and brings people back. And the way that Odin keeps going to the underworld, messing with Cirruses, things like that, right? Trying to keep Baldur from dying. So I kind of just wanted to introduce those two different ideas because I'll talk about them more in a future week. But for anybody who's kind of following along the journey, that uh, is Odin the king or is he the magician? Or is he a blend of both? He's a little bit Zeus. He's a little bit Hermes. So that's... I think I'll just leave it at that, a little bit of a teaser for where I'm, where I'm going, <laughs> connecting Greek gods yeah. and Norse gods. Yeah, and I think I know where you're going with that, too, in the next couple of weeks, but we'll leave it, leave it for that. Well, <laughs> that'll be a Sean and David, or future Sean and David problem. Oh, yeah. Anything else, Sean? I think I like this. I like this story, and I like us getting to spend some time making it a little series. Yeah, Yeah. no, definitely. I think this is a good episode, and uh, next week we're going to kind of continue the story with uh, Boulder, because you'll see that there's there's very similar elements of the chapter in Gilfagenine from the Prosetta next week that we're going to be discussing next week, but then it gets into the full story of Boulder and like what happens to him, which is has very interesting implications for what is to come in the lead up to Ragnarok, similar to like everything that Loki's done as well. So I think so. Yeah. You, you can't separate these stories, right? So that's, uh, I like it. All right, John. Yeah. Dan. You have a great night. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. You as well. Thank you so much. Is Hod Odin's brother or his son? He is his son. Okay. Cause, and it also is Freya's husband. Is that right? Either Odd or Hod, I think. Let's see. And of course we can cut this out.